was, um, Janine, thank you. I was going to preach on Acts, but I think we should turn to Gideon right now. <laughs> um, good to see everybody. How is everyone? Come on. Good to see you, Paul. Chelsea are not going to win today. I'm sorry. All right. So, um, one, one quick announcement or just something to be aware of. We're going to, um, this week, we're going to be sending everyone an email specifically um, around a questionnaire about whether or not this house would like to go camping together this year. <gasps> now, the younger people go, yeah, and the old people go, mm-mm, done that. <laughs> but listen, answer it honestly, okay? And uh, yeah, maybe we'll have to have like a two or three tier system for like the chalets, you know, the people who don't have done the camping, have done their time. Um, but yeah, we would love to, if it's possible, just to go away um, together and have some fun this year. So get ready for that email. Um, and uh, yeah, email Rosie if you have any complaints already about camping. All right. All right. So I'm going to go. We're going we're gonna to get back into Acts. So um, if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts 9. Um, Jonathan show, and I'm, I'm basically taking off, taking, carrying on, sorry, what uh, Jonathan did just before Christmas. Jonathan, I see you. You're, you give me a wave. Are you here? I've seen you. Yes. Thank you, my friend. Jonathan did a fantastic job in uh, explaining the story of Paul being converted. And, and, and uh, we could say Saul or Paul, but I'm just going to say Paul the whole time, um, just so I don't keep forgetting whether he was Saul or Paul at this time. But we're going to be, um, if you go to verse um, 20, 23, um, I'm going to just read um, a little portion before then, and then the, then the rest of the verse will come up. But um, this is the story of how Paul became a follower of Jesus. Now, we know before then that Paul was persecuting the church. He was killing Christians. And this is not a great start for any person that goes into ministry. But you see that Jesus meets him, and as Jonathan said, he became blind. And this amazing part of Scripture is a man called Ananias, who God says, you need to go to Damascus to meet and see this man called Paul. He's blind. And Ananias is like, I don't want to go, because that man kills people like me. And yet, God assured Ananias that this is from the Lord. So Ananias obeyed. He, 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 he was obedient to God, went to Paul, who was blind, and he laid hands on him, and Paul's sight was restored. And then we then see on where it says um, in nine, Acts 9.19, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who call upon his name? And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And here we then pick up in 23 when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Then in verse 26, and when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road that he had been, the, he had been seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea to send him off to Tarsus. And then so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. So I've basically just written you, read to you the start, the initial start of Paul's life. And I, I'm really excited to go into Acts 10 um, to start talking about Cornelius. And I was like reading um, this part of scripture and I was like, yep, we know it, let's move on. Um, but I just felt like the Lord would not let me enter into Acts 10 until um, I, I shared just some points that I wanted to start, um, that I wanted to share with you this morning. So I'm just going to pray. Father, we, we want to hear your word today and we want to hear your fresh bread. And I just pray, Father, just as we are here to hear from you, Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? Just like Peter did when he spoke to the crowd, he pierced their hearts. Father, whether, whether this is the first time we're watching online or we're in the, in a, uh, gathered today in the forum this morning, or we've been uh, a part of your body for 80 years, Father, would you pierce our hearts again? We want to we know you, Holy Spirit. We want to be like you. And I just pray, Lord, that this, this series that we've been going through Acts, Father, would you unite us? Holy Spirit, bind us together and show us how it is that we demonstrate your kingdom in this day. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so the start of this, the start of what I've just read, we all know when we talk about Paul that kind of Acts 9 is the beginning. And with Acts 9, this is basically how the gospel, after Acts 9, the gospel starts spreading all around the world. And we know, and it's been said many times before, that, all, that most of the New Testament was written by Paul. So it's amazing that as Luke is writing this, he's letting us know how it all started. But what I've just read to you, it's not like, hey, here's the news today, Paul did this, Paul did that, and then it stopped. And then we went, and as we know, we go straight into Acts 10, into Peter and Cornelius. What I've just read to you is an account of what happens to Paul since he gave his life to the Lord and about three to six to maybe nine years of, of, of his story. And what I want to begin talking to us this morning about is how starts do not look like, they don't look very attractive. That when we start things to the, for the Lord, when the Lord speaks to us, when the Lord gives us something to do, it be our calling. It be something that the Lord speak to us, even through the words that we had from Jake and Janine in worship. When the Lord speaks and when he gives his word, we have to be patient because his timeline is not our timeline. You know, when the start doesn't really tell us what's about to happen. And I think we get used to, and I've, I've kind of come into this idea of that if things don't happen in the next five minutes, then it's clearly not God, and it's clearly not 
the right time or it's not right because it hasn't happened immediately. And we had words last week from Michelle Kay, Paul Wakeley, all about yielding and surrender. And we are reading what Paul had to do, which was to yield and surrender to the Lord. He wasn't just yielding and surrendering to the Lord. He was also surrendering to the community that God put him in. And have you ever thought this? I've just read to you the very beginning of Paul's ministry. And Jesus, as he's commissioning him, he says about Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So the bar of his life already has been set. It's very high. He's going to stand before kings. He's going to stand before the entire children of Israel. He's going to stand before Gentiles. This man is being used by God. And yet, look at the very beginning. He's being lowered out of windows because if he gets caught, he's going to be killed. Paul used to walk through the streets. He had respect. People feared him. He was somebody. And now he's serving the king of kings and he can no longer walk in public. You know, for an arrogant man, that is humiliation. It's embarrassing. But for a broken man, it's an open door. It's an open door being lowered through the back of your window. Humility is key, church, and I shared this at the beginning of the year, but there's something here that we could so quickly move on from is that Paul has been chosen by God, and yet his very beginning, the first thing he does, he's been told what he's going to do, and now he's having to be taken into people's houses to be lowered outside of their window in a basket. It's humiliating. This is the start of his ministry. And yet God has chosen him, and yet he chose the walk for him. It started in humility. The Lord uses baskets before. We know that Moses escaped in a basket to flee being killed from the oppressor of Egypt. We know that Jesus was escaping. He, Mary and Joseph had to flee Egypt. They had to go Um, They had to flee Israel to go to Egypt because there were, again, babies being killed. But the Lord uses humility. The Lord uses moments in our life that look embarrassing. They don't fit. They don't make sense to the world. But he uses those moments for advancement. He uses moments of deep humility where we are saying, God, we cannot go on like this. We need you. We're yielding to you again. He uses those moments to advance the church. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Have you, are you holding on to something, a promise that God has given you? Are you holding on to something that you have a deep desire in your heart that you want to, you want to fulfill with the Lord? Luke is writing to us to remind us that our calling takes time. Turn to your neighbor and say, it takes time. I don't know if you think, imagine what Paul was thinking as he was being lowered through that window. 
One thinking, are the people who are lowering me strong enough to get me down safely? But in that moment as he left and he said goodbye and he's being lowered, he's thinking, God, are you in this? Are you, the words that you said, I was going to stand before kings. This doesn't feel very kingly to me. But you see, when we step into things in seed form, something that God has spoken, that when the word is spoken like a seed, it goes into our heart and it begins to take root. We all know whenever, if we're planting things, I know planting season's coming up. Once the seed has been planted, you don't see anything for a very long time. All you know is, is that you have to work quite hard for that seed to bud. You have to water it. You have to endure the seasons. It's, a, it's actually a hidden season. That seed is not seen. No one knows. No one can see it. I don't know if I'm speaking to anyone here that feels alone in a crowded room right now. It's about waiting and seeking the Lord where we see there is nothing going on. When we see that there's feel like we've been promised something that's so big, and yet, God, I couldn't be so far away from your promise right now. You know, the biblical, um, you know, the waiting is not passive. We don't just check out. It's actually the biblical practice of waiting is leaning in, and he's asking us to wait on him. Waiting is a form of surrender, and we have to surrender our timeline to God. We love to be in control. Do I get an amen? We love to be in control, especially in the timeline that we choose. I would say most of our frustration in life when it comes to walking with Lord is that my timeline does not match with the Lord's timeline. Yeah? Hey, God, it would be a lot easier if you were connected to my timeline. Hey, Lord and Savior, follow me. This is uh, clearly not what you said over my life. I'm, uh, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. Lord, what are you doing in the set, in, in this season where we have, where may we may in heart feel be may have felt like we're being stripped back? He's giving us the gift of waiting. He's giving us the gift of being able to wait on his presence, which is active seeking. It's not passive. As a body, for us to push in when we don't feel like it. You know, giving a sacrifice of praise sounds great, but it's when you have to give the sacrifice is when it happens. Proverbs 19 says, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I heard it said like this, when you hear that verse, it's like the Lord saying, oh, you've got plans? That's cute. Well, I'm going to direct them, and I'm going to establish them. I'm going to execute my purpose in your life, and that is why we surrender daily, daily to him. Speeding up the plans of God is actually what Satan has been trying to do to the church for thousands of years, and he hasn't changed. 
we see that when Jesus went into the desert and he was tempted three times, the very things that he was tempted by were in accordance to his, um, Jesus' purpose and will. Satan was not tempting Jesus to do three things that were just made up. He was addressing the very thing that Jesus was called to do. And yet Satan was telling him, do it now. Do it now and do it under my timeline. Not only do it under my timeline, but do it when I say. Do it how I say. And I will give you everything that the Lord has promised, but you need to worship me. We have, to, we have to recognize that there is a great temptation, great noise, great push out there at the moment where it's like better yourself and take your life into your own hands and build something that you deserve. And how I am not against us improving ourselves, but when we talk about the kingdom and we talk about what God is building... There has to be an element of surrender and humility that allows it to happen. Because if not, you end up building something in your own strength. If you, if, um, it, I don't have time, um, Genesis 21, I don't have time to go into it too much, but Abraham and Sarah were promised a child. And in their waiting and frustration of the plan and the purpose and the dream not being fulfilled, we know what happened if you read. Abraham, Sarah got impatient. She didn't believe the promise, so she took the word and promise into her own hands, and she asked Abraham to go and have sex with one of his one of his maid slaves, so that he could so that they could have a son, and they named the son Ishmael. Now, just remember what the the name Ishmael, because in Genesis twenty one. Ishmael is already born. He's a grown-up boy. And in Abraham and Sarah's life, the promise comes true. And Sarah gives birth to Isaac, which was the promise, which was, he, which was who God promised Abraham and Sarah. And in Genesis 21, there's a moment where Isaac is still a toddler. He's being weaned. He's still a child. And, and if you imagine the camp of Abraham, the entire camp was there was a legend coming that there was going to be a child born, that the Lord was going to give Abraham and Sarah a child. And Isaac is here, and they have a festival to celebrate. And this toddler child is somehow presented at this feast, and Ishmael looks at Isaac and laughs. Laughs at this little, weak, feeble boy he laughs. Now, see, Ishmael means human strength. And you could equate that to the logic of the world, strength of man, everything that you can do in human strength. He looks at Isaac and laughs. Why? Because he's looking and evaluating the promise of God at the wrong time. He could not see who Isaac was going to become. And this is a challenge for us to not inspect and evaluate what we see God doing in someone's life, in a house of God, in a movement, in anything that God is doing. If we judge it with our own eyes, we are in danger of laughing and coming under the same spirit of Ishmael, which is the logic and strength of this world that we miss. We become blind to see what God is doing. 
What about not just evaluating what you see God doing in other people, but what about evaluating or maybe even laughing about what we see God doing in ourselves? If we, if, if we, we know the proverb, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And if we as a people are holding on to disappointments and pain and we don't deal with them and present them to the Father and allow him to come and meet us and wash us in his love, it's very quickly that actually the disappointment seeks in and it turns into bitterness and suddenly we become callous of heart and that when a word of the Lord comes like a seed of hope, the word, we hear it through our ears, but then it gets to the heart. It bounces straight off because the heart is hard. And I believe there are people in this room that are holding on to words that you've been given maybe in this house or previous houses or people have spoken prophetic words over you, whether it was last year, 10 years, or 50 years ago. And I, I feel like the Lord this morning is asking you, are you laughing at them? Do you believe? Do you believe in what I have said over you? When we were living in the States, we lived in a, a, a wonderful farming community town called Morris. And it was a um, beautiful family uh, town, but it was maybe about an hour's drive to the biggest city, which would be Chicago. And um, if you, let's say, wanted, um, I don't know, something that was modern, you had to drive for it, put it that way. And there was a time where I learned about this town that I was growing in because I wanted to know the history of the people. Like, we've been, we were pastoring in this amazing church, and I really wanted to know, like, I, who, who could you, like, describe to me these people? So I went to the mayor. I spoke to, you know, the police. I spoke to, like, pastors in the city. And there's this, like, one story that I, like, always remember. And I joked about it with um, the congregation a lot. Is that maybe, like, 20 or 30 years ago, there was this one pizza place in this town. And it was, like, the best pizza because it was the only pizza. Okay? Now, what happened was really interesting. I mean, this is, like, a community of, like, 15 to 16,000 people, and, you know, healthy capitalism competition, a family rocked up and said, we want to open up another pizza joint. Well, to my amazement, the town came against this couple opening up the pizza joint because they didn't want another pizza joint in the town. And, I'm thinking, and like, I was like, when I heard, I was like, why? Well, it turns out, it's not that they weren't against having the new pizza. It's just they liked the other one, and they didn't want to have choice. So put it this way. If I wanted a flat white, I had to drive 40 minutes to go get it when we lived there. And whenever I used to drive to a big city, it was almost like, okay, I get to like eat and drink and do all the things that I can't do if I was in a big city that I could do. And it, from time to time, Ruth and I, we would drive um, down to St. Louis, which is like four and a half hours drive from our house. And it was like always, and it, always, always an exciting time because um, you just have, we'd have so much fun down there. And I, it was just like the excitement of like you get in the car and you're just, you just can't wait to go. Car's packed, ready to go. You put the, um, I put the address of the house that I was going to in St. Louis into the um, satellite navigation on my phone and what always used to surprise me was, as soon as I hit go, 
the sat-nav would say, turn left, turn left, turn right, turn left, go, and just go straight on. And after I had taken the last turning, the journey from where I lived to St. Louis was three hours and 56 minutes, okay? It was one road, and it was long, it was straight, it was boring. Illinois was as flat as Belgium. There was nothing to look at, like nothing, absolutely nothing. And it got to the point where that journey, like after like an hour and a half, you're driving down this long straight nine road, I-55. You're literally thinking to yourself, I don't know if this is the right way because it's so boring. It's so boring. And like you start noticing you get cramp in your leg because you're just so bored. And there's just, you're just like, when are we going to get there? And the distractions then start to come. Maybe we'll just go to Kentucky. We can take a left here. And that's where fried chicken comes from. So that's clearly a good place to go. And, or, or maybe we'll just turn around and stop in this hotel or whatever. And, and I'm looking at my phone thinking, well, I've not heard anything from the phone for such a long time. I'm clearly I've gone wrong. Or my phone has died. No. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. And it was only until you saw, you know, after four hours of driving, you just see the, 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 the crest of the St. Louis. Um, I can never remember the name of it. The arch. There we go. That you would see and you'd be like, finally, I've made it. Now, you see, for driving, I knew where I was going and I knew what the promise was. I knew that the excitement at the end of the journey was there. But there's something that happens to us, guys, when we hear a word like that and say we're going to St. Louis. But because you don't hear anything else after the command's been given from the Lord or I'm putting in the destination into my sat-nav, that in the silence, suddenly God, I think, is more interested about how we act in those moments where we don't hear anything. And that... I want to encourage you for anyone this morning that feels like they've been on I-55 for 20 years. I'm serious. For people that are just thinking that I've just been faithful, God, in what you've said, but I haven't seen the promise yet. Remember, Paul, we know that he's written most of the New Testament. We know that he changes the world. And yet he too had to go through a season of nothing had to go through a season of submitting himself to a community, submitting himself to people that maybe did not really understand him or understand what God had said to him in private. But it was in the waiting, it was in the patience, it was in, in the endurance that he became who God called him to be. He's not doing nothing in your life. He is establishing you into his purpose. You are being established right now. And that things might look bleak. They might look like it's impossible. Like Janine said, the walls that are around me feel like they're caving in. I can't see how God is going to use my life to anything. The Lord is working in your life, church. He is establishing himself. All right, verse 26. This is the next part. So this is after a few years. Paul then goes to Jerusalem. And then look at this. He attempted to join the disciples. Can you see the word attempt? 
And they attempted because they were afraid of him because they did not believe that he was their disciple. Now, something great happens here that Paul ends up rocking the boat in the local church in Jerusalem. And there's good reason to it. There's good reason to why you might feel a little bit alarmed to see this man walk into your congregation. Imagine you are a part of a body that only a few years ago, Roman soldiers came in and took your mother and father and killed them because of their faith. And they were killed under the authority and under the name of Paul. And now he's walked into the, walked into the church ready to join a life group. <laughs> you, ready? you ready to welcome him in? Are you ready? A man that was gripped by mercy and forgiveness, now the body of Christ has the opportunity to also receive mercy and forgiveness by that man's salvation. Because we, the, the body, I'm talking about us here, God chooses who comes through the door. God chooses who comes through into his kingdom. The challenge is, is what happens as a body of community, because here it says Paul attempted to join, which means there was some discussions. Oh, there was a family matters meeting. But can you see that as God is doing something in Paul's life, he's also giving the body of Jerusalem, the people that have laid their lives down for Jesus, that have been touched by the Holy Spirit. We're doing great. We're doing a great work here. And now given an opportunity to go back to the cross and live out what mercy and forgiveness truly means. I suggest that's still happening right now to us. I want to propose that the Lord is still setting up checkmate moments like that in all of us where he is putting people in front of us to reveal what's in our hearts and we then have the opportunity to extend the same mercy and forgiveness that Jesus gave me and you to the next person that walks into this house. Amen? Gone very quiet. We see that there's a man who we've already read before and we're going to read a little bit later of a man who comes in and effectively is the bridge of reconciliation for Paul joining this community. And his name is Barnabas. And his name literally means son of encouragement. This is a man that God had to use to effectively be the bridge for Paul joining this community. And I I, I want to kind of just say that, you know, actually, the, we, we can talk more about Barnabas in Acts 11. But Barnabas is an example for all of us in this room, for us to be and to, to live our lives like Barnabas, because he was a bridge to, every, to every, everything that Barnabas does. You'll see that he was a father in the faith. He loved God and he loved his people. And it's like God was using Barnabas as a tool to grow the kingdom. I love Barnabas. And, I, and, and it's kind of like a segue for me to say that I, wanna, I just want to publicly thank this house for raising mothers and fathers in this house like Barnabas. Even if you go back to the beginning of Paul, Ananias, 
men and women who I have been impacted by, by being a child growing up in this house, that they have constantly been men and women who have laid down their lives to grow up the generation below them. Is that good? And I want to spur us this morning as we read about Barnabas is that that is still happening today and that there are things that we can learn about Barnabas. And I just wrote five things down is that being a mother and a father, now there'll probably be a hundred things that we could write, but these are just some of the things that I heard and I thought, yes, mothers and fathers, they believe in people. They see the gold in people when no one else can. They're pillars. They're pillars when people around them, are sh- people are shaking. They see the grace of God in people and they're full of wisdom. And I, I, I just want to, yeah, just, just declare that this house is a house that has mothers and fathers in it. And if you are someone who are hearing this, regardless of your age, that you would want to be around someone that has wisdom. If you're facing things, situations that you're just struggling of not knowing where to turn, I know there are mothers and fathers in this house that want to be the Barnabas for you. Because let me say this to you, church. If there was no Ananias, if there was no Barnabas, there would be no Paul. Let me say that again. If there was no Ananias and no Barnabas, there would be no Paul. And it was because of people laying their lives down for the body, for each other, that actually we are giving um, like incubators, greenhouses for people to grow and become who God's called them to be. All right. And then in verse 31, I've read it. It says, so the church, actually, I'll just go back a second. Something that I thought was quite funny. After Barnabas effectively is like the reconciliation to Paul coming into the community, you then just read that Paul now just starts preaching boldly and he's speaking against Hellenists. He's getting involved in what's going on in the culture and they were seeking to kill him. And then when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. I read that like, Paul just brings a lot of noise and problems, so let's send him to Tarsus. Paul, you're just making us way too busy. All right, so then in verse 31, we see this, that throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. I love the word that, that, that Luke is specifically telling us, that to be in the kingdom, you automatically you're being built up. We're all being trained for something. Whether you realize it or not, you are all being trained right now for his purpose. Not one day is wasted, not one, com- not one com- conversation. What you're doing at work, God is using it. He's using everything that you are holding in your hand. He's using it to build you to what's to come. And then it says, they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplied. So there's a few times where Luke is writing that he's showing us, church. He's showing us there's a few things we can read back in Acts 2. Um, but when all the people, community, when they came together, they shared their belongings. They laid their lives down for one another. This is another little nugget for us to realize that if we walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, what happens is multiplication. Now, I, I'm going to read you something that I heard the other day, and, and this is something that I'm holding. You know, a, a prophetic word was given to us last week that I really want to 
you know, encourage us to when words like that are given for us to hold in our hearts and ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you require of me for that word? And it was about restoring the fear of the Lord back to the church. It's about laying down idols. It was about the church waking up to who we've been called to be. And there are two types of fear. This is what I've read recently that in um, Matthew 25, when Jesus shares about the parable of the talents, one of the men who buries his talents buried it in the ground because he was afraid of God and that the fear brought separation from God because he was afraid of punishment and that what would have been demanded from him. So that's one type. The other type of fear is what I believe Luke is writing about. It's not that. But actually the fear of the Lord draws us to him. It actually draws us to him. It's not based out of punishment or fear. It's, it's respect, but it's more than respect. It's we value. I value God so much. His name. I value God so much that I do not want to do anything that would displease him. There is nothing that I'd want to do in my life that he would not have an opinion on. I don't want to, I don't want to grieve him. It's not that we fear his punishment, although he is still the judge. We recognize he's still the judge. And, you know, we've heard that, well, people would say we're in the New Testament now. Well, we no longer need to talk about the fear of the Lord. Well, read Peter's epistles. Peter talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. It's a necessary ingredient for us to walk in the, walk in the kingdom. But we're moved by his heart. If, if, if I do this, God, I, don't, I, I know you, my, my, my love for you, Lord, is so strong that I don't want to do anything. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to imply anything that would grieve you. That's something that you don't have an opinion on. So walking in this fear of the Lord, church, which I, I believe is coming on us as a body, it's about asking the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my life that I need to change because of you? We, we all entered the kingdom in repentance. We all entered in the surrender and the yielding of saying, God, it's you. I'm in. The question is, as a believer, is that how do we stay in that posture 10, 20, 5, 50 years down the line where we still have to go to him going, Lord, it's you. It's what you think. Who cares what my opinion is? There's a lot of opinions out there. And I've noticed about opinions that they seem to change quite a lot. But the fear of the Lord is recognizing there is one who sits on the throne. And that we say, holy, 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 holy is the Lord. He is holy. That we don't suddenly get so used to our walk with the Lord like, Hey, hey, God, I'm driving the car, so jump in the back seat and I'll tell you where we're going to go. It's that we carry something of such value that our relationship with the Lord is so pure and it's so, it, it, like, it, it's the most important relationship that we hold. Jesus said in John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments which I think is just a, a wonderful invitation for all of us to recognize that it's love. It's a love for God. It's a love for Jesus. It's a love for the Holy Spirit. When we love him, we become like him. And that our lives, 
they, if our lives, like if we say the words on a Sunday morning, but on Tuesday our lives do not represent that love, in, 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 in all in kindness, I'm asking us to ask the question, we, where is our love? Where is our first love? That we see in Luke's writing that the body of believers, the ones that gathered, the ones that, the ones that came together to strengthen one another, we all, have, we all have a duty before him to follow what he's, to, sorry, to live a life of, of, of obedience before him. He is holy. You know, the fear of the Lord manifests itself because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if you're needing to make wise decisions, if you're needing to make choices that you don't know what to do, go to God. Ask him, Father, what should I do? What, what, what would you do? What have you, what have you given us in your word? What is it that you want me to do here? I believe that that is where you get the beauty of the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They work together. They work in tandem. And I, I want us to, I want us just to sit like we did Last week, when the word was given around surrendering and about yielding to him, and I, you know, I've said two other, me- two other parts of my message was us just surrendering our timeline to God again, and for us to recognize that we're all called to be Barnabases and Ananiases, people that are looking out for one another, calling out the gold in each other. And then for this body, again, to walk in the fear of the Lord again. Father, I thank you for these words in Luke 9, sorry, in Acts 9 that we've just read. Father, we don't want to just move on and and just go straight through the book of of Acts like it's just a, you know, the the game of how can we end this book quickest. We want these words to touch our hearts. We want to represent the kingdom of God in our day. We want to grow, Lord. We want to live our lives that pleases you. Lord, we don't want a church that's for us. We want a church that's for you. We want a church that you want. We want to follow where you are going. Father, would you give us the grace right now for for us that just need to surrender our timeline to you again? Lord, maybe where we've got our hands on, on our lives, trying to sort of position ourselves because we think, God, that you don't know what you're doing. Clearly, Lord, that we see in how you just led Paul and Paul just followed in obedience. Father, would you just give that grace to this body right now? Father, that we would walk in obedience, in humility, just accepting that you are 
the author and the perfecter of our faith. And that there is nothing that we can do in our own strength that can speed up your will over us. If you just need to just say it, say it before the Lord. I surrender my timeline. Father, I just pray, um, Father, also just to acknowledge the, the, the heritage that's in this house of mothers and fathers who are looking not only not looking over the, the generation that's before them, but also above them. And that, Lord, that is a beautiful picture of love that you've created this church that seems foolish to the world, but it's the, it's the entrance to your kingdom. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would awaken the Barnabases in this house that you would begin to show them the sons and daughters that they're around that need to be reminded who they are, that need courage imparted to them. And Father, may we walk in your fear again, knowing that you are so for us. And Lord, that as we look, fix our eyes on you, everything else falls away. Everything else falls away. Father, may these words, like you say in Hebrews, cut us and cut between just soul and spirit. Father, may your words, as we just so we could be encouraged knowing that what Paul does after this season, the doors that you open for him, the kings that he stands before, the 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 Gentiles, the the Israel, the the, Israel, the, the, the people of Israel, God, we see the promises fulfilled, and I speak faith. And I speak courage to this house to believe the promise and calling that is over every single person in this building. May courage arise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys.